probably not the part most of you would think is the favorite, but it is that part where they say the ground began to shake. There's something about that line when they say the ground began to shake, and I, I have to use my imagination and go back to that day at the tomb when it was time for Jesus to walk out. And that stone under its own power began to move. And there was an earthquake. There's something about when victory is about to walk out. The ground just begins to shake. Amen. I know that we are waiting for the rapture. The Bible says the trump of God will sound. And I... I want to let you know that God has blown a trumpet before. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, the the Bible says that God began to blow a trumpet. It started off kind of quiet, and then the Bible says it waxed louder and louder and louder and louder until the ground began to shake. There's something about victory, about to step out onto the clouds to rapture a church home where the ground is going to shake. I felt it this morning. The ground was shaking during that song. It felt like the ground, it felt like victory is about to step out into this congregation of people. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm excited about what God is going to do in this place today. I'm excited about His Word. Praise the Lord. If you will, this morning, turn in your Bibles or just uh, notice on the screen Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 26 and read to verse 33. The Bible says, And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Talking about Canaan's land. This is the first time the children of Israel were there. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and they're very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, And so we were in their sight. I've come to preach this morning a message, and my intention this morning is to start a fight. 
but not amongst you yourselves, but start a fight within. I've come to preach this morning on this subject, graveyards or battlefields? Graveyards or battlefields? One more time, could we ask God's blessing on the remainder of this service? Jesus, we come before you this morning. And we ask you in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, challenge us that we may not leave this place the same way we walked in. There are people here this morning, God, that are carrying burdens that you would to remove for them today, that they would walk out different. And we pray, God, today that you would have your perfect work and your perfect way in this service. We give you the glory and the honor for it. And everybody say, in Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. Several years ago when I sold real estate for C.J. Brown, I did that for a short period of time, I remember listing a house that would require just the right buyer. The house had a little different layout than most of us are used to, so I wasn't really expecting that house to sell quickly. I thought that it would be around for quite a while, but much to my surprise, A few weeks after I listed that house, I received an offer, a full price offer at that. Not a lot of stuff in the contract, so it looked like it was just a real quick, easy, open and closed deal. As we went through all the paperwork that is is required to transfer a house, for those that have bought houses, you understand the mountains and mountains of trees that must die to make that property transferable. We sat at the closing table. We had a very good conversation with the people that were buying it. It was a Christian couple. And the whole time we sat at the table, they began to tell us how this house was for them the will of God. Now, I didn't particularly care for the house, but they loved it. And they said, this is our dream home. We've prayed and we've asked God for the perfect place. And and this particular place meets Every one of our qualifications, this house is everything that we could have ever wanted. But, but as, as life goes, a problem came to the surface. We were sitting at the closing table and we found out there was a little bit of an issue and it could be resolved with a signature on a paper. That's all we needed. One signature, one piece of paper, problem solved, we close on the house my, my seller gets what she needs. The buyer gets their dream home. It seems simple, doesn't it? But the buyers weren't having it. They immediately began to back out, and, and no matter who talked to them, including the attorney telling them how petty this was, they, there was just no way they were going to buy this house. And, and I was perplexed because they had just talked about it being the will of God. And finally, the man looked at me and he said, We have asked God the whole time of this process that if this was your will, we want it to go smoothly. No problems, no hiccups, no issues. Start to close, no problem at all. Just let it go smoothly, God, because if it doesn't, we're going to back out and assume it's not the will of God. And I sat there after hearing that and on my way home, I begin to think about his statement because I've said the same thing. And probably if you're honest here this morning, you have thought or said the same thing. God, just if this is your will, just let it happen real smooth. 
Am I the only guilty one? But on my way home, I began thinking about that statement, and I haven't made it since. What if the apostles had quit when times got tough? What if Jesus had said, you know what, I'm not interested in redemption because it's going to be a hard time. Most of the New Testament would be missing today if Paul would have given up the first time that he had faced a trial or the first time that he had gone through tribulation. The book of Revelation was written after they attempted to boil John the Revelator alive in oil. Tough times happen to everybody. Life isn't always easy. There isn't always that, if it's not easy, I don't want it. We cannot adopt that mentality. The journey to possess the promise of God and His destiny for your life will never be easy. It will never go smooth all the way through. There's going to be some trouble and some hiccups. Life will have its fair share of battles that you will have to fight. But we cannot fall victim to that. If it doesn't go easy, I don't want it mentality there are so many things out there God wants to do and to give but they may not come easy and we'll talk about that more in just a moment Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot said our vision is so limited we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in, in protection from suffering the love of God did not protect his own son it, he will not necessarily protect us not from anything it takes to make us like his son. A lot of hammering and a lot of chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into the process. So life isn't going to be easy. The backstory of our text this morning, I'm going to ask you to bear with me for a few minutes. We have some foundation to lay before we get to the message. The backstory of our text today is a familiar story with most everyone here today. The Israelites in captivity had been in slavery in Egypt, and their ultimate deliverance by God had been prophesied and promised. 400 years God allowed them to stay in this place of slavery in Egypt before God sent Moses and Aaron to bring them out with a mighty hand. During this period of time, they had heard of what was called the promised land. It was a land God told Abraham, I'm going to give this to you and to your seed. It was a promised land and no doubt they daydreamed about it. No doubt they heard the stories of how wonderful it was, Abraham recalling to the children how beautiful and how glorious this land was. God had promised it to him and 400 years later, generation after generation had longed to step foot on this land that flowed with milk and honey and eat of the vineyards they did not plant and live in houses that they did not build as God had promised them. It was a place that they desired to be. And then finally, the day comes. God brings them out of Egypt through all of the plagues and through all of the things that God has did. And I don't want to take the time this morning to go through them. He brings them out of Egypt and they face the Red Sea and God delivers them again from where they were at that point and to the place where they would ultimately cross over the Jordan River was about a two-week journey. Did you know that? From the place of their deliverance to the place where they would ultimately cross would take them about two weeks to walk. But God said, I don't want you to go left. 
I want you to take a right and go into the wilderness and I'm going to send you through the wilderness for two years. This two-year process, it had a purpose. We need to learn, folks, and we need to trust God's process. We need to trust God's process. We sometimes maybe get frustrated. Now, this is not in my notes. This is free. I won't charge you. But we sometimes get frustrated with the process because we say, God, if I could just go this way, I'm two weeks away from my promise. God says, I want you to go this way, and I want it to take you two years. And we say, God, I don't understand, but he needed them to go through the wilderness. It gave them time to rest and to recuperate and to recover their strength from this time that they spent in slavery. There was also time for them to build the tabernacle. There was time for them to know who God was by receiving His law. They had to prepare to occupy the promised land. They weren't ready. They weren't able to receive His promise until they went through His process. At the end of this two-year period of time, God brings them to this place It's called the wilderness of Paran. It was from here that God commanded Moses to send out 12 spies to search out the land of Canaan in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And it is interesting this morning to note the meaning of the word Paran. It means to glorify. To glorify. It was God's plan to bring them to this strategic place, not just anywhere, but to this place to finally see and to cross over into the promised land. And he was going to do it for his own glory. He was going to glorify himself while he glorified them with their promise. Some of you can testify this morning to the fact that God has taken you through his process to prepare and to equip you to receive the promise that He has for you so that He can be glorified by you. That's God's process. That's His plan for your life this morning. There are others here this morning that may be going through the middle of the process. I want to encourage you this morning, don't give up. Don't quit in the middle of the process. There's been a lot of Bible study and sermons talked about that. But do not quit in the middle of the process. God will bring you to that level, to His next level, to His promise in His time. You just have to continue on. But it is in this great moment of God's plan. It's at this crescendo of God's process. Finally, after two years of revealing himself and showing himself and and all of these things that he's done, he's finally gotten his people to the place that they can inherit the promise. They can inherit their future. They can inherit their destiny. They'll inherit their ministry. They'll inherit everything that he has for them. And disaster strikes. Something happens. And our text this morning picks up when these... These spies came back to spy out the land and they give their report to the people and they convince Israel they're not able to conquer the promised land. And they were right. Have you ever considered that? They were 100% correct. 
They were not able to conquer the, the promised land on their own. They were going to have to have divine intervention. When you look at your future and you say, Brother Merrill, I just don't know. It's a little bit scary. I don't think I can do that. You're right, baby. You can't do it. You need God every step of the way. But if you'll put your hand in His hand and walk with Him, He'll bring you to the fulfillment of your promise. Hallelujah. And there are some battles in each one of our lives that's too big for us to win on our own. We may not have the ability. We may not have the strength. You may not have the endurance. But we serve a God with whom all things are possible. And He gives us the power to overcome. I want to let you know this morning, you cannot be defeated. You cannot be destroyed as long as you have God on your side. But the Bible says greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And it's your promise, it's your future, and it's your destiny this morning. So this morning I... I have to ask a question. When preparing for this sermon, I I thought a lot about this question. What was it that was really the cause that the Israelites decided that they could not leave the wilderness and cross over into their promise? I thought about maybe it was a lack of faith in God. Maybe it was a lack of faith in the leadership. Joshua was brand, or Moses was only living, uh, led them for two years. Maybe, maybe there were so many things that, that, that came to my mind. But in this great moment of God giving them their promise, what could thwart that moment? What could thwart their excitement and, and all of the years that they had heard about this promised land and their desire to be there? After the years of hearing about it, the exhilaration of leaving Egypt and the the thrill of crossing the Red Sea on dry land, the the joy that they experienced when they watched the Egyptians drown as they tried to cross the Red Sea, the awe that they must have experienced standing at the base of Mount Sinai as God visibly manifested His glory and His presence on top of that mountain after the years of eating the provision of manna and quail from heaven and the splendor of seeing the fire and the cloud every day. What could they have seen in that land that would cause them to be afraid or to doubt what God was doing? If you are here this morning and you're doubting the place that you are currently in, I want you to look back at the hand of God in your life and know that He hasn't brought you this far to abandon you. He didn't deliver you through the Red Sea to say, I'm going to take you to a point and then I'm going to remove my hand. There hasn't been manna and quail and all of that for God to abandon you now. So after God had done so much for them and after they had seen God do so many things, how could they stand at this greatest opportunity of their life and not take advantage of it, take full advantage of their moment? The last couple of weeks, pastor has preached and he's mentioned moments and and taking advantage of your moment. And I told Christy, I said, he has no idea what I've been preparing for a couple of weeks. And then Dave, this past uh, Wednesday night teaching and preaching, 
walked all over what I'm going to say today. God's trying to tell somebody at Grace Church, there's a moment, there's a period of time. It's time for you to receive the promise. It's time for you to engage what God has for you in your future and in your destiny. Now is your time. This time may not last forever. So as I read through the surrounding scriptures of this story, it came to me that there are at least three reasons why the children of Israel missed out on their opportunity. And in a lot of cases, it's the same reasons that people here today will miss out on theirs. Humanity hasn't changed much in 6,000 years. Did you know that? The same battles that Adam and Eve fought in the Garden of Eden, we fight today. And so these reasons this morning, I want you to hear them. And if they apply to you, I want God to help you here this morning. The, number, the first reason, number one, is the children of Israel had a passion for the past. It wasn't long after God delivered the Israelites from slavery and bondage of Egypt that they began to desire a return. In fact, the first glimpse that we have of their constant longing for Egypt was recorded before they even crossed the Red Sea. The Bible says in Exodus 14 and 12, Is not this the word, the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. They had not even crossed the Red Sea, and they were ready to go back to the bondage they had just left. The two years that they spent in the wilderness going through God's process, the blessing of men and quail, water from the rock, the pillar of fire and cloud, the meeting God face to face wasn't enough to eliminate their passion for the past. In our text today, continue on in that text in Numbers 14 and 4, the Bible says, And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. Just after the ten spies gave their evil report, they were ready to go back. I'm standing here at the moment of my destiny. I'm standing at the moment of my promise. God has gone around the world to bring me to this place so I can experience the abundance of God, but I really want to go back to Egypt. I would rather be in slavery. I would rather be bound. I would rather have all the issues of Egypt than the blessings of God. In fact, they wanted to return so often. If I can say it this way, we talk about honorable mentions They received a dishonorable mention in Acts chapter 7 and 39. The Bible says, To whom our fathers would not obey, but they thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again to Egypt. What a legacy for their family. What a legacy for the kids. What a legacy for the descendants that my forefathers were so passionate about their past that they thrust God away from them and said, Just let me be in bondage. For the children of Israel, Egypt was a place of slavery. It was a place of confinement. It was a place of bondage. And all they had ever known was forced labor, harsh taskmasters, imprisonment, and untimely death. 
It would stand to reason that the average person, when they're liberated from that kind of environment, would do anything they could to never return. However, the Bible tells us that as soon as they begin walking into their future, they begin longing for their past. And I believe this morning that Egypt's hold on the children of Israel was twofold. And again, I'm trying to lay some foundation before we get to my message this morning, so bear with me. But I believe Egypt's hold on the children of Israel was twofold. The first one, I believe they had a mental hold on the children of Israel. They had suffered so badly under Egyptian control, they could not move past it. After years of feeling worthless, after years of being mentally assaulted, emotionally manipulated, physically abused, hopeless, dejected, defeated, broken, and tired, they just could not see the possibility of ever being any more than they currently were or of being any better than it was. But they felt like it was better to stay in the past because at least they were comfortable there and they knew what to expect. So I want to ask this morning, has your journey to your promise been hindered by a past that you just can't shake? Something or someone, a failure, an experience, a sin, an abuse, maybe the words that were spoken to you by somebody that was supposed to love you. And they've convinced you that you can never really elevate above your past and ever really reach your promise. Maybe it's words you spoke to yourself. I remember several years ago, Brother Billy was talking to me about it the other day. It's been, I forgot how many years now, four or five years ago, we did a home Bible study in in a, a retirement community. And there was a lady there, and I've used this illustration before, but it fits so perfect. I was teaching that night about 40, 45 Uh, people in a retirement community, and I was teaching on forgiveness and how God can forgive anything. God forgives everything. He just forgives and forgives. And and afterwards, she came up to me and she said, she said, Brother Merrill, can God forgive murder? And my first reaction was, "Uh uh-oh, don't start confessing. Time out. Some things are left, better left in generalities. And let's let me say yes and let's move on. But I said, Barbara, yes, God can forgive murder. She began to weep. Just this lady is in her mid-70s. A lifetime of addiction, a lifetime of just, life had been hard. And she began to weep. And she said, Brother Merrill, when I was 18 years old, I had an abortion. And every day, Since I was 18, every day when I get up, the first thing that crosses my mind is I murdered my baby. There was a future that God had for her, but she couldn't get past the past. It hounded her. It plagued her mind. It plagued her spirit. And she had such a hard time reaching her promise. I I do want to tell you, though, it was wonderful to watch her filled with the Holy Ghost and baptize her in Jesus' name and watch God take that load of sin and that burden of guilt and take it off of her shoulders. And she began to live for a while. It was wonderful. There was another lady at work. This just happened about a week ago. 
I don't know her really that well. Her name is Buffy, and I'll ask you this morning, pray for Buffy. That's all I'll say. But I was talking to her the first conversation I've ever really had with her in our, in our employee break room last week. And she kept bringing up her past in the, cor- the course of conversation. She kept saying, you know, I've done bad things, and I've done this, and I've done that, never being specific. And finally, I, I just said, I said, Buffy, let me tell you something. If it's under the blood, don't bring it back up. If God's forgiven you, don't continue to live there. And she literally began to cry and took off running out of the room. And it was three or four days later before I saw her again to to try to talk to her and make sure she was all right. The point is, there's the past sometimes is our greatest enemy to keep us from reaching our promised land. The second uh, way I think that Egypt had a hold on the children of Israel was their desire. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 5, the Bible says the children of Israel are talking and they're talking about their desire for Egypt and they said, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Oh, it was wonderful in Egypt because we had all of these fun things and all of these good things. I find it amazing that this statement was even made. I'm I'm surprised they even thought of it. Had they completely forgotten about the whips? Had they forgotten about the change and the bondage and the forced labor and the boiling sun that would cook them out there? All they could think about was it wasn't that bad. Oh yeah, when I, when I look back at Egypt, it really wasn't that bad. We had some melons and, and some garlic and some onions. There were some fun times. We had some good things that happened for us there. The past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. The past is a place for your reference. Look at what God has done for me but it's not a place of your residence where I'm going to stay here. So the children of Israel had a passion for the past and it caused them to miss out on their opportunity to reach for their promise. The second thing that I believe caused the children of Israel to miss their opportunity was current contentment. Current contentment. Since the flooding this past August, I've heard so many stories of home repairs that have been done. I've I've kind of joked about it. I said, you know, for all of the devastation and the billions of dollars of damage that they're calculating, we really need to take away some of that because there's been a lot of improvement because of it. There are some old junk cars that aren't in the front yard of people's houses anymore. That's an improvement. So we've done $70 billion in damage and $10, $15 billion in improvement. But there have been people that have been telling me about their home repair and their home improvement and they're doing their best to make a, uh, the, the best of a bad situation and they're updating their houses and some cases are just doing major renovations. And some have said they're, they're rebuilding economically. I'm going to build this house back as good as it was or maybe a little bit better but I'm not doing the nicest of everything because this is not where I plan on staying the rest of my life. And I don't blame them. But I had several people, including one of my family members, is going all out. They're doing everything. 
the nicest of everything they can do. They're getting the fanciest cabinets, the best floor, the nicest paint, the prettiest trim. They're going all out because he said, uh, several of them have said, this is where I'm going to retire. I'm going to live here until I die. This is where I'm going to die. And this kind of contentment of that place can be a great thing. It's, it's an incredible thing in the life of somebody to be so incredibly content. But it can also be very detrimental to receiving the promise of God. While the vast majority of the time the Israelites complained about being in the wilderness several times during their journey, we find them making statements like, just let me die here. I'm happy in the wilderness, just let me die here. In their moment of their greatest opportunity to possess their promise, they had become content with their current circumstance and they didn't want to leave it. While the wilderness was a hard and trying land, it was also a land of miracles and blessings. Y'all are staring at me now, now I'm getting nervous but I am going to mess with your theology maybe just a little bit. It was not a place to grow crops, but God fed them with manna. There were few sources of water, so God supplied it from a rock. They could not protect themselves, so God protected them with the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. He guided them. He spoke to them. He revealed himself to them. They saw his presence. They witnessed his glory. Why trade a place of God's continual blessing for a place where I'm going to encounter enemies and giants and all the other obstacles I'm going to face? Why would I trade God's blessing for a place of victory? Why would, I, why would I trade his provision for a place of promise? I've got it easy here. I just have to show up. God feeds me. He takes care of me. My clothes don't wear out. My shoes are in good shape. This is easy. I'm not expected to do anything. I don't have to put any effort into it. In fact, I don't even have to get up and pray early in the morning. I don't have to come to church but when I want to. I just stand afar off and I see the glory and I know God's with me because he loves us all. The wilderness may not be as bad as Egypt. It may be a place of great blessing. But the promised land is where your victory is. The promised land is where the power is. The promised land is where the glory leaves the tabernacle and comes inside of you and gives you the ability and the power to overcome. Hallelujah. Manna and water are replaced with milk and honey in the promised land. Dry and barren land is exchanged for lush fields and fruitful vineyards in the promised land. Tents are replaced with houses. Permanence takes the place of temporary. Sojourners become occupiers. The walls of Jericho will only fall in the promised land and giants are only slain in the promised land. If you stay in your current situation, that doesn't happen. You have to step over into the promised land. We cannot be content with our current situation. God blessed the children of Israel and he helped them deal with the difficulties of the wilderness. But God gave them victories in the promised land. So are we content to have God help us through our difficulties? 
Or do we desire to have victory over all of them? Their contentment with their current situation caused the children of Israel their promised land. We cannot afford to become content with the way things are when God has something so much better for us. We must guard ourselves so that we never become content with blessings and burials. Because that's what their ultimate, their ultimate punishment was, was to, to wander around in the wilderness another 40 years and that they all would die. That whole generation would die. We cannot become content with blessings and burials rather than victories and promises that God has for us. And then the third, third thing that I want to mention this morning. And this is really what I've come to preach. This is what I've come to talk about because I think this is the greatest hindrance to receiving the promise. And I think it was for them because we read a lot about it this morning. And I think it is for so many of us today. The third thing is fear of the future. Our text records this morning the evil report that the ten spies brought back. And I want you to notice what they said. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 27, they said, And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. It almost seems like they hurried through that part. We saw the promised land, Moses. We saw the promised land, children of Israel, and it was everything that God said it would be. It was a wonderful place. There were green pastures. There were flower-covered meadows. There was a place where we can settle and be very productive. But it was kind of a hurry through that. And after this half-hearted attempt to acknowledge that God had brought them to the right place, they listed five different reasons why they couldn't enter. They listed five reasons. We got one thing. God, he was right, folks. God didn't lie. He brought us to this great place. Woo! But let me tell you five reasons why we can't go. I remember one time having a district manager years ago, and I thought he was crazy at the time. And The older I've gotten, the more I realize that he wasn't crazy. But he said, if you come to me with a promise... About a problem, if you come to me with a problem, come with a solution. Don't just come up and say, hey boss, all this area, this is all messed up. Come with a solution. They came with five problems, but no solutions. Five reasons they couldn't cross, but not one reason why they could. Five reasons why the promise isn't mine. No reason why God said it was ours. I want to tell you this morning, you can look at your survey, your life. You can look at your circumstance. You can look at your past and you can be terrified of the future. And you can come to me and you can come to pastor and you can tell anybody. There's all these reasons why I'll never be what I think God wants me to be. But I want to tell you here this morning, oh yes, you can. Oh yes, you can. There's more reasons why you can than why you can't. There's more reasons why God said I promised you something that you can't have it. The first thing 
that they said in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 28. The Bible says the ten spies reported, nevertheless the people be strong that dwell in the land. The people that are already there are stronger than I am. They're better than I am. We've come to our promise and here I look into the, to our promised land where I'm supposed to be and, and there's people there that have greater gifting than me. And there's people there that can sing better than I can and, and they can play better and they speak better and they're more talented than I am. But there's one thing that they don't have that you do and that is the promise from God saying, I want this to be your future. I want to give you this land. I want this to be your inheritance and I'm going to worry about the strong people. Don't worry about what you lack in strength because God will make up the difference for you. And then they said the the cities are walled and they're very great. Isn't it amazing when we look into the things that we think that God, that we know that God has for us, we begin to see all the things we can't overcome. The Bible says they told them the cities are walled and they're very great. There were insurmountable obstacles designed to stop me from reaching the place of promise. There never seems to be a shortage of hard spots. There never seems to be a shortage of hard times that attempt to stop your forward progress. There are things in life that's going to attempt to stop, and we all know people, I know people that stopped there 30 years in the past because of a hard time or circumstance or situation has stopped all their forward progress. These hard times may come in the form of failure, It may come in the form again of a past, a sickness, a damaged relationship, a misunderstanding, and that list goes on and on and on. But Jesus gave us instruction on how to deal with impossible obstacles. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 23, the Bible says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, I want you to look at that obstacle, and I want you to say, Be thou removed, and be cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith it shall come to pass and he shall have whatsoever he saith there's somebody here this morning I want you to look at the things standing in the way between you and God between you and your destiny between you and your promise and say in faith and in the name of Jesus get out of my way I want you out of here I'm about to occupy a promise God told me something and I'm going to believe it and I'm going to get a hold of it and I'm going to occupy it be thou removed In Numbers chapter 13, in verse 29, the Bible says, And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. In other words, we looked around, and there's the enemy is everywhere. There's no place that we went that we weren't surrounded by the enemy. North, south, east, and west, high, low, no place was safe. Every step that we take, we're going to be confronted by an enemy, Moses. And they listed out five, five names of the enemy that occupied their promise. And I want you to listen to them this morning. The Amalekites were the first, first ones. The Amalekites, the word Amalekites means darkened or dim. But John, 
8 and 12, and I'm going to give you the reasons why today that you can't occupy the promise. John 8 and 12 says, Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That is what Jesus is. The Amalekites or darkness may be there, but Jesus is light. The second word was Hittite, which means deplete of strength. Deplete my strength or to, to, to deplete my courage. But Psalms 31 and 24 said, Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. The third one was Jebusite, which means trodden underfoot. But Revelations 11 and 12 says, And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, Come up. I want you to come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld him. I want to tell somebody here this morning that feels like maybe you're trodden underfoot. Jesus is saying, if you'll come up, uh, your enemies are going to watch you go up while they stay down. The fourth one was Amorite. This means talkers, just yapping. You know what I'm talking about. You know, no matter what you try to do good, and no matter how you try to progress, you got some yapper that's going to tell you why you can't. And it's going to tell you how you can't. And I remember your mama. I wish we could get a deliverance from all that yapping. God, if there's anything, just deliver us from yapping. All right, I got to go on. The Amorite is an enemy. He's in your future. He's in your promise. There's a a yapper in your promise, one that's just going to gum flap and talk about you and tell you about how horrible you are and how you can't make it and and you're not doing good enough and you're never going to succeed. But the Bible says in John 16 and 33, these things... I have spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus is saying, don't worry about the yappers. Listen to what I'm telling you. You're an overcomer. You're going to have peace. You can make it. You can do it. You can reach a promise. You can achieve. You can be everything that I want you to be. Quit listening to those people and listen to what I say Jesus is saying. And then he mentioned the Canaanites, which means low and subdued. But 1 Corinthians 15 and 57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are not low. You are not subdued. You are not put out. You're not defeated. You're not destroyed. You have victory. You have it this morning, not through your power, but through the power of God. You have it through the power of Jesus Christ. I talked about it a minute ago when that ground began to shake and victory stepped out of that tomb. He became an overcomer and he said, my power I'm giving to you so that when things try to bury you, you can step out in Jesus' name and claim victory. Hallelujah to God. Then in Numbers 13 and 32, the Bible says, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto and the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants of it. Now, how ridiculous is that? 
Is it, any people that enjoy the outdoors here this morning? Have you ever walked through the outdoors and see the ground eat somebody? There's scripture for it. But that was an act of God. But, but they come back and they say, we saw this is a land that eats up the inhabitants of it. Now I know they were being figurative. But not only were these spies afraid of things that they could see and identify, they were afraid of things that was their imagination. They were afraid of things that didn't even exist. Mark Twain said it this way, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. One of the greatest thieves, and I'm convinced of this, one of the greatest thieves of our promise is distraction. And there's no greater distraction than the worry and distress over a problem that doesn't even exist. So this happens by saying, well, you know, if I really become what God wants me to be, then, you know, I'm not sure, you know, things may happen on my job. What if, what if they don't like me anymore? Has that even happened? No. But you're worried about it. It's things that don't even exist. The stress of that. And then in Numbers 13 and 32, and I'm trying to hurry this morning. All the people that saw, and it were men of great stature, and they saw giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were on our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. Anak means long-necked. Anak means long neck. It means their head or his authority is higher than ours. He has more power than us. He's going to rule over us and tell us what to do. Giants include fear and intimidation, anxiety and worry, and they appear to be undefeatable in control of our promise. And they allow the fear of the future to overcome their testimony of what God had already done for them. But there was a young shepherd boy whose name was David that taught us how to take care of a giant. When David said, I come to you in the name David became the giant and Goliath became small. And I want to tell you this morning, whatever it is that stands in your way that causes you to be afraid of your future, you can pick at the brook and pick up five smooth stones, J-E-S-U-S, and you can come against it in the name of Jesus. Fear, I want you to meet the name. Doubt, I want you to meet the name. Intimidation, I want you to meet the name. Worry, and meet the name. Anxiety, Meet the name of Jesus. You are no more. You are defeated. It's all the power in the name of Jesus. So when you look from where you are today to the opportunity and the promise that God has given you, there may be some things that don't look like the promise that you expected. You may look at your future and say, God, I just don't see how you're going to bring it to pass. I don't even have what it takes I don't have the components in my current uh, state to, to bring about the future that you have for me. That's why God's a creator. What you lack, he can just create. And there's going to be people that's going to test our resolve and there's going to be giants that test our faith. But God has given you the promise. God has given you a promise, you a future, you a destiny. The Bible says, and I will give for your heritage, I am the Lord. I'm giving you this for your heritage. And so what the 
children of Israel didn't realize that day was their enemy had already been defeated because God had already said this land was theirs. The enemy was done in. They were already defeated. So whatever is standing between you and your opportunity, whatever is standing between you and taking advantage of the opportunity that God has extended to you to inherit the promise that he said is already yours, whatever it is that has you afraid or terrified is already defeated because God has given you that promise. Satan, death, hell, and the grave were defeated 2,000 years ago when that ground began to shake. And that tomb opened up and Jesus walked out victorious. Everything that can come against us, the Bible says Jesus gives us power over. Isaiah 54 and 17, a very familiar reading. No weapon that is formed against us, against thee shall prosper. Romans 8 and 31 says, For if God be for us, then who can be against us? So if you'll stand with me this morning. In Numbers 14 and 2. Numbers 14 and 2. And I want you to listen to this reading. Because this is where I'm getting to my message. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God we had died in this wilderness at the moment of greatest opportunity the children of Israel had ever had to receive that promised land that they had heard about that they they wanted to they daydreamed about it they thought about it they would have rather been buried in Egypt buried in their past Buried in the wilderness or buried in their present than to fight for the promise on the battlefield. So this morning, the three reasons that I have mentioned, do one of them perhaps apply to you this morning? A passion for the past. There's people here, no doubt, this morning that need to look at their past and say, I'm not coming back. There's a desire that people here this morning have for Egypt. There's a few fun things in the world. There's a few fun things out there. And sometimes it calls our names. You know, Brother Merrill, it's just... If I could just do this, if I could just have this part of Egypt, this part that I'm supposed to be delivered from, if I could could just do that, you know, Egypt's not so bad. And God's saying, I brought you out of that. I don't want you to live in that bondage. I don't want you to live with those issues. I don't want you to live with those problems. And I'm not going to be specific this morning. But Egypt calls to people. Egypt calls to people. Our society, all the things that they try to do. Somebody told me last night, sitting at a restaurant, a waitress came up and just began to talk to me. And she said, she's 16, she's going to be 17 here. She said, 
is sometimes it's hard to live a good life. She's not a church girl. She said, I'm doing everything I can to live and be a good person. And she said, my friends keep telling me what's fun and and what's acceptable and all this. And she said, it's not fun to me. We'll have plans on trying to engage that father with her to see what we can do. Pray for her. I don't even know her name. But she doesn't want the world anymore. She doesn't want Egypt anymore. She's looking for a new land, a new place to inhabit. And there may be some here this morning very content with where you're at. Very content. It's easy. Not a lot of pressure, not a lot of demands. I'm just content being a good Christian person. I'm a child of God. He's blessing me, isn't he? Maybe you need to decide that I'm not going to be buried in the wilderness. But I'm going to fight for a promise. And then there was the fear of the future. We look for victory. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be harsh or cruel. But we look for victory in a place where victory doesn't exist. We look for victory in the wilderness. But the the walls of Jericho only fall once you cross into promise. They don't fall in the wilderness. God will bless you in the wilderness. But that's not where victory lives. Victory over the enemy never lives in the wilderness. It only lives. You know they didn't fight any battles in the wilderness? They only fought in the promised land. So today, as we wrap this message up, I want to remind us it's not a time for the church to adopt an if-it-ain't-easy-I-don't-want-it mindset. This is not the time. And everybody here this morning has a choice. We can be like the children of Israel the first time they faced the Jordan and say, I would rather die in Egypt or I would rather die in the wilderness. Or we can say I'll battle in my promised land. You get a choice this morning. It's up to everybody. I can't make it for you. Pastor cannot make it for you. God won't make it for you. We have a choice. It's either a graveyard or it's a battlefield. And I know there's people here today. We have guests here today. Thank you for being here. And there's people here today that have gone through horrible, horrible circumstance and horrible situation in your life. God has something that He would like to take you to. It is a process. It's a journey. But you don't have to stay there. God wants to give peace. and He wants to give comfort. And He wants to love. And He wants to show you all of His grace and mercy this morning. So if you're here this morning and you desire a different future than your past, and you desire a different future than your current circumstance, and you say, God, I'm going to battle, 
I'm not going to go to a graveyard, but I'm going to battle for my promise. I want to start a fight this morning in somebody. One person that says, God, I'm not willing to accept the status quo, but I am going to take advantage of the opportunity that you have presented to me in the moment you have presented. And yes, the future is going to have the enemy and there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be all of that stuff, but God, I've got the power to overcome it because of you. If you're dissatisfied with what what has been and you're dissatisfied with, with what is currently happening and you say, God, I want the future you want for me and I'm willing to be what you want me to be, then I'm going to invite you to come this morning and just talk to God and tell Him. Say, God, I need a new future. I need a new future. I'm not going to listen to the call of Egypt anymore. I'm not content with just being blessed, but I want victory. I'm not content with a Sunday morning experience, but I want a week-long relationship. I'm not content with just what little bit I get, but I want all I can have. If you're here this morning and you want something from God, would you make your way down around the front and then we'll invite everybody else, our guests, everybody. We're not going to ask you to do anything. Come down and let's talk to God this morning. Let's talk to God this morning. Jesus, Jesus, you have a purpose and a plan for my life that I don't see, maybe. But God, I'm not going to let an enemy rob me of it. I'm not going to let the past take it from me. I'm not going to let pain and hurt and heartache destroy my future God. But I'm coming here this morning to declare war. To declare war on the things that prevent it. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Let's talk to God.